Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast featuring Pastor Mark Miner, where we will journey together to help you grasp how the Bible fits together to provide a coherent, understandable, and historical book. The purpose of this podcast is not to convince, but to help you understand. Not to defend, but to connect the dots of this most amazing book. Not to debate, but to discover the plan of the Bible. There is a plan. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave us a review. It really does help us. And now, here's Pastor Mark. Well, thank you so much, loyal listeners. Unless, of course, this is your first time, then you're not maybe loyal yet. But I'm so thankful you stopped by the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. My name is Mark Miner. We're into episode 59. Uh, And today we're talking about science in the Bible. I'll remind you that the purpose of this podcast is just to help people understand the Bible. I'm not here to preach. I'm not here to convince in the sense of of coming at you with a lot of reasoning and and argumentative type things. Just want to explain how the Bible fits together. You get to decide if you believe it or not. But I do believe that the Bible holds together. I am a Christian. I do believe that it is the most incredible book ever written. So I do come with my philosophy and my biases. But uh, the main portion of this is simply just, and main thrust of this podcast is just to help you learn a little bit about the Bible so that you can make an informed decision yourself as to what you believe. Uh, thank you for stopping by. You may detect a little bit of uh, angst in my voice. Have you ever had one of those days where you had everything together? had all of the podcast ready to go or all of your notes, and you came back, got ready to start the recording, and all the notes were gone. Well, that was my experience today. So I've had to recreate much of what I had from memory. It's okay. I probably needed the rehearsal. So I hope this makes sense for you today. I want to give you a quote from a French philosopher by the name of Voltaire. He was an atheist and a very strong uh, proponent against Christianity uh, in the French Renaissance period of time, 1764, uh, is when he wrote this first quote that I'm going to give you. <clears throat> Excuse me. But uh, Mr. Voltaire entitled his opinion, obviously, but this is what he writes the Bible. That is what fools have written, what imbeciles commend, what rogues teach, and young children are made to learn by heart. He wrote that in 1964. In 1967, in a letter to Frederick uh, the Great, who was king of Prussia, uh, he wrote these words, Christianity is the most ridiculous, the most absurd, and bloody religion that has ever infected the world. Not a big fan of the Bible, I would say. So we're talking fools, imbeciles, rogues. Today, that language would probably be more like what Bill Nye might say and some others who are antagonistic toward Bible doctrines, calling them foolish, simple, outmoded, uh, provincial. A lot of terms to discredit the Bible. People are entitled, again, to their opinion. But I'm going to suggest to you today, as we look at the Bible, we're going to look at three different areas. And I'm going to say to you that the Bible, written by a bunch of dumb shepherds, I mean, that's the criticism we often hear, a bunch of dumb shepherds riding their camels out in the desert, 
most people don't understand that the Bible was written over a 1,600-year period of time on three different continents by about 40-plus different people from all varieties of life, the, the, those with doctorate and master's degrees, if you will, the Moseses of the day, the Daniels of the day, some of the very intelligent people, the Apostle Pauls, all the way down to Amos the shepherd, Nehemiah the cupbearer or the waiter. So the Bible is a very diverse, a key word in our society today, the Bible is full of diversity. And yet uh, it speaks with a singular voice and it speaks to some amazing things. And that's what we're talking about today as we talk about science. So let me give you the, the areas that we're going to speak about. We're going to talk about biology and genetics. Now there's an interesting topic for the Bible study. We're going to talk about astrophysics. Yes, we are. And we're going to talk about ecology and nature. Those three areas could pick a, a wide area or spectrum of things to talk about. The Bible is not a science book. It is a book of, uh, actually it's a book of love to show us how God so loved us that he had this plan to get us to his house called heaven. And of course the plan to pay for our debts was Jesus on the cross. So uh, we most understand that. Uh, most of us understand that philosophy and, under, and that, that truth. But when the Bible speaks about science, it's uncanny how correct it is. And that's why I believe you can believe this book that you have in your hand or that you have on your phone, uh, the book that is above all other books called the Bible. So let's talk about, for a moment, biology and genetics. Now what? what the, the, remember, the Bible's the last book was written almost two thousand years ago. The first book was written about four thousand years ago. So this is a very ancient book, and yet we're talking about science and topics that are important to this very day. Uh, back in uh, 1988, the Human Genome Project, where we mapped the DNA of the human body. Uh, the DNA is deoxyribonucleic acid. It's what you're made of. It's what contains every aspect of your genes and chromosomes to cause your hair to be whatever color and your eyes and the shape of your head and how you walk and all those things all contained in DNA. And I could spend a lot of time talking about DNA, how long those strands are of DNA, and how they are woven together uh, of these four different threads, uh, A, G, C, and T. I won't pronounce the names right, but it's adenine, and guanine, and cytosine, and thymine. I think I got that right. But those four proteins are what we are all made of. In fact, it's what all carbon-based life forms are made of. But uh, it's interesting when we talk about the Bible and its understanding of how we're knit together, how we're made. A verse always comes to my mind anyway, and perhaps to yours, and it's Psalms 139, verse 15. Actually, the entire Psalms, but written by a man named David. David had no education. He's a shepherd. And he's writing 1000 BC, so 3000 years ago. And yet he writes these words in Psalms 139:15, For it was you who created my inward parts. And then he says these words, You knit me together in my mother's womb. Now those are very interesting words. And when you go to the Hebrew to understand knit together, you find out that it's an embroidery term. 
It has to do with sewing and, and putting threads together to make a beautiful picture. And is that not exactly what biology and genetics has determined us to be as these four different threads of protein are knit together? I'm certain you've seen the double helix that is the human genome and how it looks like threads and it's tied together with chemicals and those attractions are what make us one and how uh, the, the weaving of that DNA is what creates the uniqueness that is you and that is me. I just find it scientifically important that the Bible uses correct terms when it speaks of the knitting together or the uh, creating of human beings. And we are only now beginning to unwrap some of the beauty that uh, we know of as the human being. But the psalmist David, 1000 B.C., uh, when he speaks about DNA, he's speaking correctly with words that are beyond his ability. And so I'm going to suggest to you they came from somebody with a greater ability, the God who put you together. I find that amazing. I don't know about you. Uh, by the way, I'm going to encourage you to uh, look at the Facebook side because of uh, the 24-Minute Bible podcast. There's going to be a number of pictures there. And one of the pictures you're going to see is something amazing that came out of the University of Chicago in 2011, uh, then was sort of uh, totally uh, revealed in 2016. And it has to do also with DNA and genetics and biology and conception. Now, let me read a verse to you out of John 1, verse 4, talking about Christ. And it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. Now, we talk about light, light when uh, creation is formed, the first thing was light. But also, as we see in this picture, of course, you can't see it now, but I'd encourage you to look on the Facebook side. You'll see the picture that the University of Chicago researchers found. An amazing thing that when fertilization takes place, when the sperm enters the egg of a human being, there is a, an intense, it's in the womb, darkness there, but there is a flash of light. And you can see this actually taking place on the film or the still pictures from the University of Chicago. Now, what does that mean? What are you trying to say, Mark? Well, I'm just simply trying to say that when the Bible speaks about biology and genetics, it's, it's speaking correctly. We were conceived in light the moment you became you, light flashed into the world. And that life, uh, I believe, came ultimately from God, but that life is the light of men, and we are all born in light. And that is the first thing that happens at the moment of creation. So, so many other things we could talk about with biology and genetics that the scripture either alludes to or deals with in, in a sort of an offhanded fashion. Remember, the Bible's not a science book. But when the Bible speaks about something important, it's correct in what it says. And the terminology is usually very, very insightful. That's why we study the Bible. Let's look at a second topic, uh, isolated from biology and yet very important, and that's astrophysics. A lot of us have seen programs on television, PBS, uh, Discovery Channel, the History Channel, that have to do with where we came from and this great universe we live in. 
And for years, we thought of the universe as a great big ball, or at least some of the researchers and, and the scientists and the philosophers. But in the last few years, people such as Carl Sagan and Stephen Hawking and others have, have alerted us to the reality that, that space isn't a great big ball and this universe isn't just one huge globe. It's a fabric. In fact, they talk about the fabric of space or the fabric of space and time. Carl Sagan writes this, and he says, In the fabric of space and in the nature of matter, as in a great work of art, there is, written small, the artist's signature. But he's talking about the fabric of space. Again, I'll have some pictures uh, on the uh, Facebook side where we see the, this, the understanding now is that space is more like a cloth rather than like a big ball. Brian Greene, who's sometimes called the new Stephen Hawking, uh, is a professor of physics and math at Columbia University. And he's written a book called The Fabric, Fabric of the Cosmos. The Fabric of the Cosmos. Now, why am I emphasizing this? And there could be many other quotes, but for time's sake, we won't go there. But let me read to you and tie together uh, a few scripture verses with this concept of the fabric of space, that the universe is more spread out like a cloth rather than a great big beach ball. All right, Psalms 104.2, the Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. If you're a Christian, you might remember Chris Tom Tomlin's song, How Great uh, Is Our God, and he uses that line, he wraps himself in light. But it says he stretches out the heavens, the universe, like a tent. Isaiah 42, 5 says, uh, this is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out. So here we have another verse talking about the stretching out of heaven. Uh, Isaiah 51, 13 says <clears throat> uh, that you forget that the Lord your maker who stretches out the heavens. So we have another reference to this idea of being stretched out. And one more time in Isaiah verse 34, verse 4, it says, all of the stars in the sky will be dissolved and the heavens rolled up like a scroll. Think of a scroll, if you will, rolled out. And as it's rolling out, of course, it's revealing the text upon that scroll. But there's going to become a time, there's going to come a time when the scroll will be rolled up. And it continues on and says that all the starry host will fall like withered leaves from the vine. So think of the heavens as a fabric. Well, here's King David writing in Psalms 104, 1000 B.C. Here's Isaiah writing 700 B.C., 700 years before Christ. And they are describing space as now Carl Sagan, Brian Greene, and Stephen Hawking are. And, and mentioning Stephen Hawking, we can't talk about the fabric of space without talking about time. Einstein's theory of relativity uh, gives us the concept there in his theory, which has been proven uh, true in, in many different anecdotal sort of ways, that the only thing that is constant in this universe is light. And time is not constant. That means there can be variations of time. If you're old enough to remember the Planet of the Apes or some other sci-fi sort of things where we've talked about two different uh, 
entities of time. Some people speak of parallel universes, and I'm not going to get into all of that. We're talking about the Bible and how it addresses things. But when it speaks of space and time, it's correct. Let me quote uh, Mr. Hawking, Stephen Hawking, uh, and here's what he said. Uh, Time travel used to be thought of as just science fiction, but Einstein's general theory of relativity allows for the possibility that we could warp space-time so much that you could go off in a rocket and return before you set out. You heard that right. Hawkins is saying that you could take off in a rocket and you could get back before you actually took off. Now, I don't even pretend to understand that kind of concept, but here are very learned individuals, people that we revere. Some people even worship or at least set them on a high pedestal way above the Bible. And yet, the very thing they're talking about is the thing that the Bible speaks of when it talks not so much about time travel, but about the expandability of time. The Bible says in numerous places, both the Old Testament and the Second Peter and the New Testament, for the day, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So we're talking about a flexibility of time. We read in Joshua 10, 13, where uh, the sun stood still over the valley of Ajalon as Joshua was fighting this battle. Again, you may say, well, that's absolutely impossible. Well, is it impossible for you to take off and to get back before you ever left? Stephen Hawking, perhaps the smartest man that ever lived, in some people's estimation, says that it is possible. So why is the Bible ridiculed for saying some things that may be a little hard to understand in, in their premise? Uh, we don't ridicule scientists, but somehow the Bible is outdated and uh, maligned. When I'm going to tell you that it's not, it's right on in what it speaks to. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 11, King Hezekiah was dying and he asked for a sign. God said he was going to heal him and, and he asked for a sign to verify and that sign was that the shadow on the sundial would go backwards. Now, did the sun retreat in the sky? I don't know. Can't explain that. Uh, but certainly the shadow on the sundial, according to the scripture, did go backwards. And that was a sign to Hezekiah that he was going to get his 15 more years of life. Well, whatever the reality is, the Bible talks about space-time it talks about warping space-time. It talks about the fabric of space. And those are the very entities and subjects that are uh, fa uh, just fascinating to our astrophysicists of today. Coming from a book that is very ancient and very old, but also very right because of the author, which I believe is God himself. Well, let's go to one last theme here in the moments we've got left, and that's the Bible as science, but the Bible as it addresses ecology and nature. Now, this is exciting, exciting to me. It has to do a lot with what's going on today. Uh, there's always these conferences about nature. Certainly, people are worried about climate change. I, I'm not. I don't think there is any. Uh, when I was in college, I was told that, uh, and I took ecology classes. I was an ecology major for a while. And I was told that uh, the earth is going to get cold and we're all going to die because of uh, global cooling. 
Uh, Newsweek magazine had a cover story about global cooling back in the 70s. Well, now we've gone to global warming. We masqueraded as climate change, but it's global warming. You, you've seen Al Gore's video and, and other entities out there, National Geographic, every issue, upon issue, talking about global warming. Uh, regardless what your opinions are on that, it's a hot button sub subject. Didn't mean that as a joke. Uh, what does the Bible say about it? Well, the Bible has a lot to do, say, not so much about climate change, but about ecology and nature. Job 38, the oldest book in the Bible as far as the first written book in the Bible. Job was alive probably around Abraham's time, maybe even a little bit before Abraham's time. But he writes these words in Job 38.6, so talking about the universe. What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstones while the morning stars sang together? Wow, the morning stars sang together. Now, is that a Motown group? I don't think so. Uh, the morning stars are singing. There's a lot in the Bible uh, about the Bible singing. Uh, it talks about Psalm 6, or excuse me, about the earth singing and creation singing. Psalm 66, 4 says, The whole earth will worship you and sing praise to you. They will sing praise to your name. Psalms 148.7 talks about the great sea creatures that will be praising the Lord in all the ocean depths. So there is a much about singing and rejoicing that is talked about in the Bible. Uh, Jesus himself said if, if people were quiet, even the rocks would cry out. He didn't say they would sing, but they would cry out. Okay, is that just anthropomorphic? Is that just God using a literary device to kind of communicate to us the importance of some concept? Or is it literal and correct and exactly what takes place? Well, I'd encourage you to take some time, and if you've never seen Louis Giglio's mashup, you can go to YouTube and find How Great Is Our God. You're going to see an amazing thing. There's a 45-minute version. There's a 14-minute version. Take whichever one. It's an amazing concept and a beautiful, beautiful illustration of this very truth that God is the God of science, of ecology, and nature. Because in this mashup, uh, in this uh, song and pictures and sounds put together, uh, we have some amazing things. We have stars singing. You can go to youtubenature.com, and there is a three-minute video recording all the very, many of the various stars that are singing. Anything that's moving on its axis or is rotating is creating a sound. We now have the technology to record that sound. And the songs of the stars are absolutely fantastic as they are recorded. We also know that animals sing, and in the Bible speaks of the great sea creatures, uh, whales, for example, and their uh, very songs and how they communicate with one another. When we begin to look through uh, ecological eyes and even through biblical eyes, we begin to see that the things the Bible is talking about are very real, very probable, in fact. Romans 8.22 says this, talking about the time when, when the return of God is close, the return of Christ is close. He says, we know that the whole earth has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present day. All of creation, the Bible says in Romans 8, has been subjected to frustration, to decay, and to uh, pain and suffering. Now, again, is that just some words that are simply there to communicate a concept to us, or should they be taken literally?
You might have seen the movies uh, or read the book from C.S. Lewis, The uh, Chronicles of Narnia, and, and in the movie Prince Caspian or in the book about Prince Caspian. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his uh, amazing way, has the trees coming to life and fighting the battle for Prince Caspian and for the four kids that have come from the line of Adam that have come to help there in Narnia. Well, if you're not familiar with that, let me introduce you to another book. Uh, the name of the book is called The Hidden Life of Trees. It's written by Peter Wolleben, who is a German. He's a professional forester and scientist. And he writes in this book, The Hidden Life of Trees, what they feel, how they communicate. Let me give you some quotes. This book was written in 2016. Let me give you a few quotes from uh, Mr. Will Levin to close out our podcast today. Here's what he says about trees, creation, and its groaning or its understanding. Here's what he says. When you know that trees experience pain and have memories and that trees, tree parents live together with their children, then you can no longer just chop them down and disrupt their lives with larger machines. Now, this is a scientist and a professional forester, uh, well-learned. Uh, he's he's a, a real man. He's not some out there sort of mystic or naturalist. He really is a scientist. But research is showing that trees actually have feelings. They have parents. Uh, they are parents, and the, the, the acorns or whatever that fall off of them, those are their children, and there's a connection there. Let me read a couple other things to you as we close. He says that the most astonishing thing about trees is how social they are. He also talks about how they communicate with scent by smelling one another. I know that may mystify you, but that's what the scientist is saying in our world today. Trees are social. He continues on. The trees in a forest care for each other, sometimes even going so far as to nourish the stump of a felled tree for centuries after it was cut down by feeding it sugar and other nutrients and so keeping it alive. Perhaps they are the parents of the trees that make up the forest of today. The trees, I'm still quoting now, the trees' most important means of staying connected to other trees is what he calls a wood-wide web of soil fungi that connects vegetation in an intimate network that allows the sharing of an enormous amount of information and goods. And he goes on and talks about the scientific research that is validating that. So when we talk about when the Bible talks about uh, trees of the earth clapping their hands or that the trees are going to rejoice when stars are singing and the earth is singing and all the creatures on the earth are singing, you could be speaking about something very real. And science today is validating that. The Bible is not anti-scientific. In fact, the Bible is pre-scientific in that it knows the concepts and is prescient about the concepts before we human beings have ever discovered them. So as you read the Bible, read it with open eyes, open heart, open spirit, open mind, and realize that when God speaks to something, uh, it is truth. 
And as we speak about the Bible and the God of science and the, the way the Bible addresses science, uh, God is very pro-science, and he certainly is the foundation. He's the one who created all the molecules that make you up. He's the one who created DNA and the four substances that knit us together to make us one. He's the God who died on the cross for you. Hey, next week we're going to be talking about some of the false gods in the Bible. You may be reading the Bible and you read about Molech and Dagon and Baal and where do all these gods come from? But we're going to talk just a little bit about them and the numerous false gods in the Bible and what it means to you and how to help you understand some of those truths. Thank you so much for being a part today. Have a great week. Look forward to tuning in again with you next week on the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to the channel. And if you would be so kind, please share it with your friends who might enjoy it as well. Join us next week with Mark Miner for another episode as we continue to explore how the Bible so beautifully fits together. May you have a blessed week. And may God be glorified in your lives.